the writer George Bernard Shaw, who some of you may have heard of, very famous, he said this, the trouble with the media is that it seems unable to distinguish between the end of the world and a bicycle accident. I found that to be true. The end of the world is just um, not a reality to many living in the world. Since there's no other planet to go to, uh, you'd think that it would be more important. We should know about it at least, or discover if it's real, you'd think, as a, uh, as a mankind, as a, as, a, as a group of people who live on the globe here. I bought the wrong wraps for our fajitas yesterday, and uh, it was very disappointing. So this morning, I'm grappling with the end of the world, but Linda's really intense about the wrong wraps. I purchased burrito wraps and not frajita wraps. So I don't know if you know there's a difference, but there is apparently. But I was at the end of the world, my thoughts. This is, this. everything's ending. It's fire is burning everything up. The, the sun is melting. And Linda was talking about burrito wraps. That's sort of what it felt like. <laughs> she didn't know where my mind was, so it wasn't her. But it was definitely in the end of the world. And so this is where I've lived this past week. So we're continuing our series on what happens to the created when they walk away from their creator. So if you would open up to 2 Peter. Peter has written a letter to a church there are false teachers among them. This is, this is what it says in 2 Peter 2.13. It says, they are blots and blemishes. Not, not nice things. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So Peter is saying very clearly, these people are in the church. They're, they're not coming from outside speaking or preaching and then leaving. They are with the people. The deception, the blots and the blemishes are right there in there with the people. Men inside the church teaching lies, saying there will be no judgment by God. So live however you want to live. It doesn't really matter. God's not returning. There'll be no judgment. Jesus is not coming back, they were saying. And they were right there saying it, right in the church. And so Peter is, of course, not at this church. He's writing them a letter and he's He's trying to get a point across to them about the seriousness of what they're teaching. That there's, there's no judgment. There, there is, uh, Jesus is not returning and they can live in all kinds of ungodly ways because it doesn't really matter anymore. And so Peter is coming against this strongly. And as we get toward the end of 2 Peter, he gives it to them very directly about the end of the world. So if you would... Uh, open up to 2 Peter 3. We're going to start at verse 8. Go over a little bit of what Pastor Randy talked about last week. And it says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming 
of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So last week, Randy told us about the patience of God and that it may appear slow to people as we're, uh, as we're looking at it, but the reality is he's got a master plan, a divine plan. And it honestly is just a little self-centered to think that we have a better plan, that it should come sooner than later, but he, his plan is fine. He, he's a good scheduler. He knows all things. He's waiting because his love for the world wants none to perish. He's wishing that none do, but as many as possible have the opportunity to repent and be saved. The false teachers were, were saying, where's the promise? Jesus returned to earth. It's in 3, 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Where's the promise? Why so slow? He's not coming back, so there's no need to live godly, holy lives. We'll do whatever we want to do. Today, Peter says to the false teachers very, very directly, there will be a time when you have wished you had lived godly and holy lives, focused on the Lord Jesus, relying on him to be your righteousness for salvation. The reality is there will be an end to the world with judgment. That's the reality. I thought to myself, you know, we don't talk about this much at Westchester Chapel, and I thought, you know, as Linda reminds me often, we speak what the series we're in, and when we come to it, we speak about it. There's no reason to jump to these things. The Lord seems to have a, a way working through these long series to bring us to the point where we need to hear on a certain day, on a certain Sunday, what we need to hear. And so today, the end of the world. Lucky you that you can be a part of uh, all the destruction that's coming. The reality is it's coming. So you can live like it will never happen, but scripture is abundantly clear that it's a reality just waiting to happen. People say to themselves, you know, I don't like the judgment thing. Let's just chop it out of there. Just let's remove the judgment things. You can't. You can't remove the judgment things because it's part of the whole plan. Without that, we can't have the end of the plan, which we see in these scriptures. So here's what Peter teaches us. These three things we're going to cover and by the way, the day of the Lord mentioned in these scriptures is a phrase used in the Bible numerous times to describe the end of the world. Peter uses it here, end of the day of the Lord, and he also says the day of God as well. Both of those are used in other places in the Bible. So Peter teaches us these three things. First of all, the day of the Lord is a reality. It will happen. Just get that into your mind. It's a reality. It's going to happen. Do we talk about it all the time? No. Uh, it's still going to happen. Do we want it to happen with all the destruction? Probably not, but unless you know God's plan, and then you can see how it fits in. It's gonna happen, it's a reality. Just count on that being part of what will happen in this world. Our lifetime or not, I don't know. That would get me into a lot of trouble if I put a date on that, so the Lord said not to do that, so I won't. So number one, the day of the Lord is a reality. The day of the Lord will reveal how we live, is the second one we're going to talk about. The day of the Lord will reveal how we live. It has a way of bringing to the point two paths, which we're going to talk about, a righteous path and an ungodly path. And this day of the Lord shows you very clearly who is on what line. The third thing is the day of the Lord will restore 
God's original plan for mankind. That's the exciting part. The day of the Lord will restore God's original plan for mankind. So let's look at this. The day of the Lord is a reality. It will happen. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then it says the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the, the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The end will come throughout Scripture. It's one of those things that's in here, that's in the Bible, that we just accept as truth. If it wasn't in these other places, Isaiah wrote about it. Jesus taught about it. Paul taught about it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-6. Jesus, it's in Matthew 24. Isaiah, it's in Isaiah 13, 6-9, if you're keeping notes. Intense verses, every single one of those. It, if, you, if you look through the Bible and you happen to have a red letter Bible, meaning the, the words of Jesus are in red letters, if you turn to Matthew 24, <laughs> you see it's, it's solid. And so Jesus is saying something that is critical for us to hear. He wrote very succinctly that readiness is key, to be ready for the day of the Lord. He said he, he's coming back. There's going to be judgment. He's going to come back to the world just like he said that he would when he left. So Peter writes about it as a reality, as if it were going to happen. And first he says this, it's going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. It's going to come as a, a, a term Jesus used, a, a surprise of catching the world unaware. And it's hard to imagine. We're, we're not that unaware of things with media today. But there are things that do catch us by surprise. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. We have all know of people like this. We've all heard about this. Everything is fine. Everything's good. Just be happy. Everything's, everything's fine. We want you to be happy. Believers should be happy and joyful. That's what we want. That's really the point. Is it? No, it's not. But you hear that, just like Paul was saying. Let there be peace and security, and then destruction will come upon them. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5.3 again. A few months ago, Linda and I had an experience that was tiny, a tiny experience of this, is we were sound asleep in the middle of the night and a fire alarm went off. Now, I don't know if it's where you are in our apartment building, the fire alarms are in each apartment, the noise of them, and they aren't like, you know, ding, 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 ding. There might be a fire you should get out of your apartment. This is piercing. If you've ever been in a school system, they have piercing ones. A lot of offices have piercing ones. It, you can hardly stand it. It's so loud. It was very disturbing. And you're, you're, you know, we were woken out of a sound sleep, piercing sound. You don't even know really what to do. You're in confusion. You're running around. You're trying to put your clothes on. We're trying to find Bailey, get Bailey out of her and, and pick her up because she's not, she doesn't know what to do. Although her ears are killing her. She can tell she just wants to be away from the sound. We're, we're doing everything possible. What are my wallet? Where are my keys? How am I going to, should I lock the door? What's going to happen? So we just throw on what we can and run outside. And we run about, oh, I don't know, maybe 50 yards from the, to get away from the sound. It is so horrible. Sound, by the way, is one of the things that is in what will happen in the last day. 
But this was a surprise for us, totally by caught us off guard. This is what happens. It, it will catch us to such a point off guard that the world will never see it coming. It, these things that are happening are not of the natural realm where like the Weather Channel can say, by the way, there's going to be a really bad storm coming. I can see it on the horizon. It's going to be coming toward us. This isn't like that. This isn't a natural occurrence. This is a supernatural occurrence. No one will know it's coming. So the, the secondly, Peter says, the day of the Lord will come in an unbelievable power and destruction of the natural elements around us. Nature is not causing it. The supernatural power of God will take the nature he created and destroy them. I want to show you something. Uh, this is the sun, obviously. Just a rolling ball of gases. Just recently, I don't know whether you noticed or not, on the northern pole of the sun, a piece of the sun broke off. Very odd, very odd occurrence, very, very large piece of plasma. It's electrified gas, basically. Broke off, a huge piece, broke off, and then started in the orbit, basically, around the sun. NASA astronauts, engineers, people who work for NASA, they see a lot of things that are out of this world. This had them confused and baffled what is the sun losing parts for? This is, not, this is not normal. Well, that's nothing compared to what will happen. Nothing. That's a small little piece of what is going to happen in this. So let's look at this. I shouldn't be maybe so excited about this, but I am. It's closer to meeting my Lord. It's exciting in a strange way is that it's starting to bring the world back to what God intended, which we'll speak about in just a minute. By the way, it says in these, in these scriptures, if you look, it says in 10b, a little farther down in verse 10, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. It's like Linda and I heard. It's a sound that is like a loud rushing sound. It, it's connected to like crackling fire, the, the fire that makes, but hugely loud and big. And imagine it spreading over the world, this sound, everybody being able to hear this roar, which is how it, how it starts. And then it says this, it says, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved. The heavens, these referring to that place between the earth and where God dwells, you know, not technically we know that, but the idea of where we think in between what we see is the sky, the earth, where the sun is, where the moon is. But there's an interesting thing about this. The word means uh, to put in a series, this word elements, means to put in a series of things or to go in a things that go into a row. Atoms, molecules are arranged like this, and some commentators believe that's exactly what these elements refer to. Because it talks about things melting and, and dissolving. The sun, the moon, galaxies, the cosmos. All of these heavenly bodies are being mentioned. But the elements over all of them seem to refer to, to something other than what they knew at that time. And they think it may be atoms or molecules. They're arranged 
in in shapes and there's there's things that are smaller than molecules and things smaller than those they don't know how far it goes down with with what's attached to atoms but it it holds things together so one of the thoughts is what happens is god just takes his hand off of all of the things that hold everything together they're dissolving they're melting so imagine with me for a moment what we just saw, the sun, which is bigger than you can imagine, melting, just being gone. The moon dissolving, just it's not any longer there. This word melt means to unloose or unbind something. Like a scroll being released from a seal is what it means. So it's something being unloosed, just like whatever holds these things together, whatever holds our world together. God takes his hands off of it. He, at this point, is holding all things together in his hands. Everything lets loose, and it all becomes just melted, nothing. It, it, it doesn't exist. So you can imagine the chaos and the terror that would happen on the earth if all of a sudden the things that we rely on every single day, you don't ever think about the sun not being there or getting up and seeing it every morning or the moon at night. So these heavenly bodies are burned up and disoriented, they melt. And it says the earth and its works done on it will be exposed. And the earth, it, very clearly in scripture, in the language, it refers to our planet. But the works is basically to lay bare the planet, what fills it, which is human action, human activity, man's work on the earth. Also, it says, will be exposed. I had a, a very odd experience one time at a, um, a junior high camp and uh, I was happy to be directing it and happy to be part of what all the kids were, were doing and, and it was, everything was fun. But there were some shenanigans going on, let me put it that way, with some of the kids getting out of their cabins and going and doing things they, they weren't supposed to do by the lake, like taking some items, putting them other places. And so I heard this was going on, and so this was like about uh, one or two in the morning. I hid by the lake, and I heard them coming, knowing they were about to come and do this. And I waited till they were right there, and I shined a very big flashlight on them, and they were shocked. They had been caught. <laughs> Everything had been revealed. I knew exactly what they were doing, which was bad. They couldn't really do anything. They were just there in the middle. I could see their faces. I knew who they were. They were totally exposed. Their lives, everything that was happening at that very moment was laid bare. That's the idea behind this, this divine judgment that comes on the world, just totally laid bare. And it's the annihilation of the earth and everything that's on it is what it's referring to. So intense is what I guess we could call this about what happens in this time period. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, unknown, unexpected. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Everything will become clear. But... Peter doesn't stop there, and he asks the question of us and of that church, okay, well, it hasn't happened yet. We don't know when it's gonna happen, so what should we live like until it happens? 
what should we live like? What should we look like? What should our lives be? And he gives us two things. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, they're all going to be destroyed. So since this is all going to happen and everything's going to be laid bare, what do you want showing is the point. What do you want revealed about your life? There's a big part of all of this that's moving mankind toward the righteousness that only God can bring. And this is the end of everything. And God's starting to say, we're gonna, the, the plan's going to start changing. I'm going to bring about the renewal of what I started in the beginning. And it starts here. He says, get ready for, for this time. Get ready for this, um, the destruction of everything. And while you're waiting, you need to be about two things, really three things it mentions. It. One is it said, lives of holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. Those are, are key. And they stand in contrast to the unrighteous lives that are also here. Peter talks about that dramatically. In the, um, the 60s, there was a, a pop art movement, and it was basically minimalism. They called it by different names at the time, but it was like, uh, and you may have seen paintings like that if, if you've been to MoMA, been to the Museum of Modern Art. You walk into a room, there's a big canvas on the wall, and half of it's white, and the other half is black. And you're saying, well, where's the rest of the painting? That is the painting. That's the pain. Just white and black. It's that kind of contrast that God is, is showing here. It's these people who are living righteous lives, holy and godly, and the people living unrighteous lives that are the exact opposite. And Peter's relating this, obviously, to these teachers who are uh, deceiving the church and the difference between them and the church that is supposed to live this holy in godly lives. So there's a manner of this whole story that is separation between righteousness and the ungodly acts of, of people. There's a contrast that's being built up. So let's look at what he says. There's, there is a holy and there's godly. There's a third one about living in expectation as well. So Holiness, we have dealt with this a lot. This comes up a lot in, in Scripture, so you hear about it a lot. The, the word holy, hagios, set apart, living in a manner, separated. But separated from what? Separated from the world that's not living in a holy manner. It, it's not just thinking about holiness. It's not thinking, I wish I were holy. Holiness is a great thing. I think it's good for the world. Holiness is... Conduct. This refers specifically to holy conduct. You were set apart to serve the Lord for a reason. He set you apart for something. When you're set apart, you're set apart for a purpose, living to please the Lord God. So holy conduct, holy actions. We're acting out our faith by living in this holy manner. We're separated from the world. And this is the hard, hard thing about faith in the world, in our country particularly, is people are not drawing that line. They're not drawing the line with holy lives, even believers. They're not saying, well, you know, gosh, we're fine. We're, things are good. I don't understand. This is, this is uh, I go to church every week. I'm just, I'm good. This is, this is good. Without considering that God's call from the beginning 
of Scripture to the end is to live holy lives, obedient lives. We talked about it just last week. Disciples who are doing not only loving and thinking and studying what the Master said, what Jesus said as a disciple, what the Word says, they are obedient to doing it. And obedient, obedience in Scripture is connected to loving God. Loving God, you're obedient. They're connected. The holy, set apart, living in a manner that's different. Scripture shows us how to do that, and the Lord gives us the power to do it. It's nothing we can do on our own. We desire to live holy lives, and he gives us the empowerment to do that. So the second one is godly, and it's, just, it's two words, actually, they put together. It means well and, and worship. So it's, it's living a life of devotion is the purpose of this, a life of moral purity. It's, it's a life focused on God, worshiping him with all that we do. Worship, by the way, is something that, that we, we need to talk about more and more and more. It is not singing songs to God. Is that part of it? Absolutely, it is. But there's a bigger piece to this. Somebody said recently, it might have been Tozier in the, the book that we've been reading, some of us have been reading as a devotional, that says it's impossible to worship God unless you have awe, unless he is beyond you, unless he's bigger than you are. It's really impossible to give yourself over to worship. He has to be otherly, otherworldly. He has to be outside of, of your box. And then you can truly fall on your face, as they did many times in Scripture when they were confronted with him or things of God. They fell on their faces because they, they, they were in the presence of something so beyond them, they didn't know what to do. They just had to bury their face in the ground. So this worship experience is to be part of fellowship with God. Part of our worship to him is how big he is, the awe of knowing that he is so great. And that's the thing that is developed in faith. It's a thing that the disciples develop. Right after you're saved, often you don't have that kind of view of God. You start thinking that God is like a man, which we know is not. As you grow in your faith, as you start to move from the milk of being immature to the meat of our faith, the maturity, we start to learn things about the essence of who God is as we study the scripture. And the Lord is merciful that he doesn't put it all on us at all, all times, all at once. We'd be overwhelmed. But as we study scripture, we learn how great he is. And that leads us into worship. So this godly is this second thing. And then uh, it says at the, at the end of all of this, uh, he says, in, you ought to also be living lives of holiness and godliness. In verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And then it will go on, we'll do this in just a minute. So you're actually doing a third thing. The third thing that we're doing is we're, we're living in expectation. We're not living in fear. We're not living in, gosh, I don't think this is ever gonna happen. I don't see God, you know, coming back like the false teachers. We're living in the expectation that this is really gonna happen. And we want our lives to line up with what God wants because we expect him to return. If you look at Jesus' teaching on the last days, he said clearly in some of these parables, there are people who were ready for it to happen, and there were other people who were not ready for it to happen. We want to be in that group 
that knows it's going to happen and are prepared. The actual day may surprise us, but we'll be ready even though we're surprised. There's going to be a whole large group of people who are surprised also that the day is here, but are not ready, have not given themselves to the Lord. So we're living in expectation, living holy lives, godly lives, living in expectation that the Lord is coming back. And that should be exciting for us. Often, it's scary, shouldn't be, the Lord's coming back for his people. That's a good thing. So holiness, godliness. Peter's intention is that we live this way as we wait, because then we'll be prepared for him to come. That's the best explanation of it all. We're ready for him to return. The new world will only be about holiness and godliness. It's not going to be about unrighteousness. When the Lord comes, it's going to be about holiness and godliness. So that's the way we live our lives. But we have to be very careful in this because this can be legalism. It can turn into something in our lives where the pressure for us to live godly and holy lives is based on how we're trying to live it out. Instead, we're living holy and godly lives because of how God is empowering us to do it. Please make that distinction. Otherwise, living holy and godly lives starts to be actions that you're taking. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do this for God. And he's going to think this is holy. I'm going to do this for God because I want to be, and it, your desire is good, but it's not how he wants you to live this out. You live out holiness and godliness empowered by the Holy Spirit. As you abandon yourself to God and ask for him, he comes and he sets you apart. He comes, helps you to worship him with everything in your life. So we're in that period now of waiting. In reality, 2023, we're waiting. We know it's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. So Peter's direction is for us as well. These are three things that we need to be living out now. Holiness, godliness, the expectation that he will return. That's for us now. There's an application for us. The new world is coming. And then there's this last piece. Second part of verse 12, it says, hastening, coming the day of... By the way, I read something that was very interesting about hastening. Hastening means to, to hurry up the coming of God, like that would be possible. There is an old term in the Talmud, Jewish term in the Talmud, that says that if the Israeli people, the Israelites, would just be repentant and, and uh, holy before God, for a day, Jesus would return. The Messiah would return. <laughs> they didn't say Jesus then, but the Messiah would return. If it was just one day, they could do it. He would return. So hastening it, they were making that reference. So I think it's interesting that part of looking for him is that this hastening of his coming is tied to repentance and holiness and godliness. Like we're preparing so he may come quicker of course, he knows the plan. His divine plan knows when he's coming and what he's going to be doing at what time. That's, that's his choice. But this says, coming on the day of God. Now, it's interesting. This says the day of God. The other one said the day 
of the Lord. So one of them is more a reference to Jesus returning. This one seems to be somewhat of a reference to God, the final judgment, and things being done, solving things, returning them and renewing them. So as you look at this closely, it talks again about the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, saying the same things, fire, things were dissolving. It's the same picture. This last piece is the day of God will bring restoration. This is a critical part of, of what Peter's trying to say. He could go on about judgment, and there, there's not a lot that says specifically, here's how God is going to judge people or anything. He says, here's the way to live, holiness, godliness. And then he says this, because he wants to turn these people he's writing to, to a picture to inspire them about what's coming. That's, that's something that Peter wants them to see, because we can be stuck in the judgment and the second coming and it's all being destroyed without the hope of knowing that the reality is Jesus will come back, but there's a purpose. He's coming back for restoration. If you read Genesis, uh, you can see the picture of what God created, which was lovely and beautiful and all perfect. He had a relationship with Adam and Eve. They, they walked in the garden. They, they were, the fellowship with God was personal. He was providing every single thing for them. There was this connection between God and man that was real. The sin broke this because God is righteous and holy. You can only be righteous and holy if you're in his presence. You, you can't be in his presence without being righteous and holy. And we're righteous and holy because we believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And he is our holiness. He is our righteousness. Nothing we do will get us into heaven. Only our belief, our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That was all broken. And here at the end of the world, Peter's trying to say to them and to us, but it's not going to stay broken. There's an eternity that we're going to live where exactly how God wanted it to be will now be happening in eternity. It says, but according to his promise in verse 13, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's very personalized, by the way, righteousness dwells. It's like maybe God would live with us. Exactly. This is where righteousness dwells. Righteousness himself, the Lord God Almighty, and his people who are righteous and holy because of Jesus. So Peter sums it up. He's saying, you know, it's not going to be this fire and dissolved and everything that's happening is not going to be forever like this. A new heaven and a new earth is on the way and it's coming. The day of God suggests this return to his original plan, to God's original perfection of the garden that was destroyed by sin. The world would be renewed back to the world of holiness, righteousness, back to the garden. So where righteousness dwells, where God is with his people. Why does Peter put that at the end of this section here? He's, he's really trying to give it to the false teachers. And he ends with this piece here. And I think he's saying two things. One, he's saying that to the false teachers, you're not going to have a part in this because you're not part of God's plan. You're living unrighteous, ungodly lives. It's not that they could not change or could not repent. But at this point, there's a contrast he's setting up. He's also saying, 
God wants to be with his people. That's a key. This is not a casual desire of God, by the way. Just a, a, a thought, kind of like, well, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, hanging out with my people would be good. This is not a casual desire. This is so important to God that we are with him that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, a horrible death for our sins, to cover our sins. It was very important that we are with him, very important that he is our God, that we have fellowship with him, that we are close to him. It's part of our lives now to fellowship with him, to be close with him, to seek him, to try to be connected to him. That's all part of our lives now as well. How much better is it even going to be when he is actually on earth with us or we're in heaven with him? Both things are going to happen. This isn't casual for him. This is what he longs for. And you have to understand that that's the Lord's heart is to have you close. That may scare you, or you may not know how to do that, but that's his desire, is to have you close. He desires to hold you, to love you, to provide for you. He desires to give you all that you need. He wants to be the perfect father that none of us ever had. And he longs to be beside you, with you, with his child. His divine plan is to restore mankind. We're part of that, church. We're part of that. All eternity with the Lord God Almighty. It's going to be real. It's just as real as the end coming. The eternity, the new heaven and the new earth is also real. I've been in pastoral situations a long time, doing this a long time, many, many, many years, and been in pastoral situations. I've also been in, in personal situations. I'm old enough to be able to say, I've seen a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but I have seen a lot of things. A lot of them very good, but some of them very uh, painful relationally. I bet you every person who's listening and maybe online uh, eventually or uh, as it goes out over the internet could say the same thing, that each of us has known painful, painful relationship issues with people in our lives, maybe pastoral ministry, maybe it's a family issue, broken relationships, heartbreaking, troubling, and it just brings pain. And you know, it's hard to repair those things. It's just very hard to repair them. It takes two to repair them. Sometimes the other person doesn't want it repaired. So it's a painful situation. We just miss the fact of just how much God longs to have that healed for us and be with us and be close to us. I've had relationships uh, with people where it's just broken and my only heart's desire is to have it restored, have it like it was, have it back to normal. But it's difficult. At times I've longed for that and it's happened. There are other times it has not happened, not yet. So we miss the fact of just how much God wants that in our lives. How much he wants us close to him, wants that relationship back together. So as we end, I'm going to pray for us and pray for that relationship with the Lord that it is restored if you're in a place where it's a little rough with him. It's almost always, I would say always on our part, God is ready and willing 
He stands like the father of the prodigal son, waiting for you to run back. And the restoration happens. In fact, in that story, the father ran toward him as he saw him running. That's the heart of the father. Some of us long that for ourselves, and he can meet you as you run back to him. Some of us long that, long for that in other people, in our families or our lives, and they don't want to run toward God currently, but God certainly is still waiting for them. We're going to pray for them to come as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come and we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you and we praise you, Father, for the reality um, that there will be a day that all of this ends we thank you for the reality of, of living in godliness and holiness in your power. We thank you for the reality that you will return, Lord Jesus, to get us and that things will be restored. In these few verses, Father, you have laid out for us a huge part of our lives, including all into, all into, all into eternity. So we thank you, Father, in laying this out before Peter and Peter giving it to this church and his words getting to us. So Lord, hear our prayer. Father, you see the hearts of everyone in this uh, call and those who may be listening to it at a later point. You see every heart and Lord, you know the hearts that are away from him, away from you. And Lord, I know that you call all of us back all of the time when we need to come back. So Father, I pray that if anyone is in that category listening today, that Father, you would see their heart right now their desire to get up, come to their senses like the prodigal son, and start moving back toward you. Father, meet them, catch them, hold them, Father, restore them to that relationship with that person and that person to you, Father. My prayer is that that would be the first restoration that can start to happen, leading to the big restoration where we live with you for all eternity. Father, meet that person, restore that relationship, because they are ready. Father, we know that we, we come, we, we avail ourselves, but you're the one who comes and restores it. And Father, we also want to come and we put ourselves in the, in the place of that person who is not running to you, and we intercede for them, because we want that person in our family, our friends, our work. We want them to run to you because you're waiting. You're there waiting for them with a robe and a ring, like it says in the prodigal story. You're, you're waiting to bless them, and they're not coming. And that's disappointing to us because we want them to have all they ha want of you, all, all that you want for them. Lord, we ask that you would draw them, that you would draw them. You would help us to be in a place to draw them, to help them find their way, to not stumble, but to get up and walk straight for you and for you to meet them, Lord. May it be so, Father, that you would meet these people, that they would get up and they would turn, repent of their sin, and walk toward you. Lord, may it happen. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you were moved by today's message, that was the Holy Spirit wooing you to himself. God created the entire universe so that he could be in relationship with us, so that he could be in relationship with you. His son came to the earth. Though he was completely without sin, he died the death of a sinner, took all of our sins upon himself. 
and was resurrected so that we could have eternal life. All we need to do is accept what he did for us. You can find out more at westchesterchapel.org forward slash salvation. But why not pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying for me. Thank you that your death atoned for everything that I've done to separate me from you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, and Holy Spirit, come into my life and empower me to live for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know about it. Please send an email to info at westchesterchapel.org. Now, our website is under construction right now, so these links may or may not work. But if you go to westchesterchapel.blogspot.com, in the right-hand column, you'll see an article on salvation and a way to get in touch there. If you live in or near Westchester County, we hope you'll join us. Find out when we're meeting at westchesterchapel.org. Again, that website may be under construction, but be patient with us. Also, if you're outside of the area, you can join us on Zoom, and that info will be there as well. But we do encourage you to get plugged into a local body of Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christians. Lord bless you.